0: Hello, and welcome to the Friday morning edition of Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. Oh, we got some goodness here. We got the perfect discussion topic, perhaps, when it comes to hating. And you know, this is an analytics podcast. This is a thoughtful podcast. I like to think. This likes to break down the difference between reality and narratives at the same time. We do love to hate. I hate you, I hate you, I don't even know you, and I hate your guts. And this is going to get a chance to do a little hating on the Christian McCaffrey trade. Sorry, spoiler alert, guys, <laughs> analytics guy, not a fan of the Christian McCaffrey trade, but I will try to steel man the argument for those who don't know. There's straw man, which is. You put an opposing argument to your argument, which is very easily knocked down, not even representative of what a real opposing argument may be. Steelman is you try to come up with the best possible argument for the other side of what your conclusion is to test your own conclusion. So I'm going to try to do that. I admit I won't come up with enough, uh, you know, just narrative flowery language around the explosiveness he brings. He's going to take them to the next level. They're going to be unstoppable now, unguardable. Okay, I'm not going to bring those sorts of things. We'll try to look at the actual concrete steel man type of arguments to go against here. I still think even with those, we can be pretty confident that this was a poor uh, risk reward trade for the 49ers. So why don't we just get into that? Because I'm going to do the review of Thursday night football. That's normally the main piece of this Friday morning show is reviewing that. We'll get to that. We'll get to the adjusted scores. We'll get to all the grading in this particular game. We'll get to the impacts on playoff position for the Cardinals and the Saints going forward. But I think we got to dive immediately into this Christian McCaffrey trade because it is such a, a huge, huge deal, at least in terms of, of compensation. All right. So let's plug in the exact numbers here. Now, the um, the word came through late last night. It's kind of interesting timing. Maybe it's like a West Coast sort of thing. The fact that the, the timing came through when it did uh, cause this came through at, let me see for Ian Rappaport here. This tweet came through at 11:24 24 PM. I'm not going to lie. I was not paying close attention to the end of the saints Cardinals game here. When this news came in the reported news here, Christian McCaffrey, of course, going from the Panthers to the 49ers, the 49ers receive a second round pick in the upcoming 2023 draft. A third round pick in the 2023 draft, a fourth round pick in the 2023 draft, plus a fifth rounder in the 2024 draft. So one, two, three, four picks here. Uh, We can assume that the 49ers, they're a three and three team. They look like a top six-ish sort of team in the NFL. This is probably a pick that's going to end up being the equivalent of a team that's the you know, top 10 team in the NFL. So if it was in the second round here, I was gonna use the first round and say it would be somewhere in the 20s. I guess for the second round, it's like saying it's in the 50s is where this pick is gonna end up being. Still, those are very, very valuable picks. And depending upon how you wanna look at this, the valuation of this pick, let's start with valuation. Let's start with what exactly are you giving up for the frame here, I looked at our numbers. We have ability to calculate our numbers, and then we can look at the traditional numbers too. The Jimmy Johnson chart is pretty much obsolete at this point. Teams don't really go by it anymore. It was originally crafted to not encapsulate the actual value of the picks by anything outside of their market value. They work backwards to saying we've seen all of these trades in the past. What sort of picks are worth? What sort of other picks? And now we're going to build a chart based upon what we've seen at the past. So in a similar way to maybe coaches just going on fourth down, what's been based in the past, the Jimmy Johnson chart was a way of just saying, what's been done at the past? Let's use that as our guide instead of coming in with a maybe a new independent lens on what these picks should actually be worth. So even according to the Jimmy Johnson chart on this, and there are issues with how you discount the future picks, things like that. But even according to that chart, we're talking about a late first round pick is the total compensation value here. So that's really the floor for what the value would be because the Jimmy Johnson chart has been shown versus what trades we actually do see happen now and what calculations we've done upon valuation. The Jimmy Johnson chart undervalues later picks, overvalues earlier picks, especially overvalues top 15-ish sort of picks. So undervalues later picks, and it also undervalues future picks. In this particular trade, there's only one pick that's beyond the next draft, so we don't really have to worry about that. But that's also a factor in there. Future picks, very, very low valuation, according to what people assume with the Jimmy Johnson chart, where it's basically like you downgraded a full round based upon that. So Jimmy Johnson chart, 28th overall pick. That's the floor for what the 49ers gave up here. We may have more of the ceiling number for what the 49ers gave up. Because when I put all of this into our PFF trade value calculator, it comes up with a war number. So we have a wins above replacement number that we use for player valuation so we can gauge players across valuation. And we also have historical information for what sort of war number. Uh, wins above replacement number, which is based upon our grading and positional value, all those sorts of things that you could expect for each pick in the NFL draft. It's it's It slopes down much more slowly than the Jimmy Johnson chart, where the first pick is massively valued versus the 32nd pick. Here, it's a little bit more modest for us. So when we put together all of this war, these war numbers don't mean a whole lot, but it comes out to about... Three quarters of a win in war. And that would be the equivalent if I plugged in the numbers and I said the number 10 pick for next year. That's what the equivalent is to this number in our picks. So if we say the floor for what the 49ers gave up is the 28th pick, the ceiling, if you want to use our number, is the 10th pick. So you might be able to value and say it's somewhere between those two. That's significant. That's significant that's very significant. I know that McCaffrey is only has a cap number of 690,000 this year because the Panthers are eating a lot of that. The Panthers are eating all of his guarantees here. So he has no guarantees going forward. But you know, the fact that he has no guarantees going forward would be more important if this was the type of trade compensation where you could just cut him and move on. You can't just cut a guy you gave up the equivalent of a mid-round first round pick for. So the fact that there are no guarantees, that's fine, but you still are not just going to get rid of this guy. He's going to have a $12 million cap hit for 2023, 2024, and 2025. Now, how significant of a cap hit is that? Well, let's look up what other running backs are making so far this year. Uh, the next highest in average per season, Actually, let's just look at the next, let's just look at next season. So McCaffrey's going to have, again, this $12 million cap hit next season, $12 million cash spend. So, better yet, let's even look at the cash spend here. He's going to be second in cash spent next year to Aaron Jones at $16 million. Dalvin Cook's 11, Camara's 11. Ezekiel Elliott, 10.9. And if we go to cap number, he's around 7th, 8th. So, you know, you're not getting them free here. You're getting expensive in terms of cash. I know running back salaries are very undervalued, but a lot of these guys who are near the top for cap number, Aaron Jones at 20, Ezekiel Elliott at over 16. You know, those numbers are... We'll we'll see. Those probably end up getting restructured and pushed around anyway for a big number. So McCaffrey's going to have one of the bigger numbers going forward here. If you're trading a first round pick for someone, you're not just trading a first round pick for one season of this cheap cap that you're getting for one season here. So the cap benefits here, you got some, you got some deal going on here, but clearly this is too much to trade. Now, how much would I trade for Christian McCaffrey? I don't know. It's really tough to say. I mean, we're also talking about a player when it comes to McCaffrey. While you never know about injury history and what it means for injuries going forward. I know that McCaffrey has been healthy so far this year, but you're also taking on at least some degree of injury risk with McCaffrey. He came into the league in 2017, played all 16 games his first three seasons. He never missed a game. 2020, he missed 13 games. 2021, he missed 10 games. So that's a lot. He's played only 10 games out of a possible 33 games in 2020 and 2021. And now he's played every game so far this season. All players have risk. No doubt about it. Running backs may be a little bit more risk, though, than what we've seen there. So it's also that factored into it, which makes this a riskier trade. What is he going to do for the team? Okay, so let's start with the steel man type of arguments on the other side to say this is a good trade here. Uh, I mean, from an overall standpoint, it would be you're bringing another multifaceted, talented player who would be again, we're dipping in narrative talk here, but would be like a matchup nightmare. So you got Debo Samuel you can use as a running back or a wide receiver. You got Christian McCaffrey, you can line him up out wide. You can play him at running back. Uh, Then you also have Kittle and Brandon Ayuk. You have everyone going there. Um, Yeah, there's some element of that, no doubt. But at the same time, my big concern here, my overarching concern for this is the cannibalization effect. And I think this has to be thought about a lot when it comes to trading. It's not just how good is the player independent of the pieces that you're adding them to. It's how do they fit in with everything that you're adding them to. This goes to a concept that's more of a basketball concept. If anyone knows of Ben Taylor, uh, LG35 on Twitter, he runs the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel, which is incredible content there. Uh, I, th- I think they're able to produce better content using the NBA, you know, normal footage, and and the concepts are a little bit easier to go through there. But he does incredible work going over all of these things from an analytical and a scheme perspective. He talks about this concept of, you know, portability. You can move a player from one player from one place to another, and. Do they take away from the rest of the offense or not? I mean, in a simple explanation, let's think of a player like Russell Westbrook for basketball. If you move him from one offense to another, you really have to think intentionally about the other pieces that are on that new offense as far as how good he's going to be, because he's going to need the ball in his hands. He's going to take away from others, whereas Steph Curry may be an ultimate example of someone who can have the ball in his hands, but also adds tremendous value, portable, if you put him anywhere. If you put him alongside LeBron James, yeah, his total scoring is going to go down. Things like that are going to go down, but he's going to open up the offense for LeBron. He's going to be able to work so effectively off ball that he's very portable to move into different situations. Christian McCaffrey, not as portable when it comes to the NFL, in my opinion, for two different reasons. Number one, He's going to be replacing running back rushes from guys like Jeff Wilson, Elijah Mitchell, others. Yeah, he may bring a little bit more juice in that department, but he's never been this fantastic runner. He has some big play potential, but Elijah Mitchell can also run, you know, a 4-3. Jeff Wilson's got some juice. He had a third-yard touchdown a couple of weeks ago. Those guys have juice. And how well those guys play, like the differentiation from the running back when the rushing perspective – it's much more dependent upon blocking in a lot of circumstances than it is who that running back is. So McCaffrey coming in how he's going to enhance that rushing game. Currently, the 49ers are 28th in their success rate. And I measure success rate saying whether or not a play was successful, added expected points on a particular play. So they're 28th right now, bottom five in the NFL. And There's an easy way to point at what's going on here. I don't think it's a lack of running back talent. Remember, they drafted Tyrion Davis-Price in the third round. They have Elijah Mitchell from last year. You know, They even drafted Trey Sermon last year with the third overall pick. They have um, Jeff Wilson, who's a UDFA, who's their leading rusher this year. I mean, you're you're finding a lot of guys who can function rushing the ball well in this system. The problem is blocking. They're going to get Trent Williams back, but the interior offensive line in particular is bad. For the 49ers, particularly bad run blocking. If you just look at those three players, the interior offensive line, the two guards in center right now, 48 is the run blocking grade. So far this season, second worst grade in the NFL behind the Cowboys. And, you know, surprising there, right? The Cowboys, even with Pollard and, and Zeke have not been able to run very well because they don't have the blocking that they normally have. Uh, are they going to, is he going to be able to block you know <laughs> for himself? Christian McCaffrey, no, I just don't think it's going to end up working out in that sort of way. He's not going to be able to be that much more effective on the ground. Uh, again, if we dip into some of the the player, the specific player numbers here, so Jake Brendel has a 49 grade, Aaron Banks at 55, Spencer Burford at 48 for their run blocking grades here. Some of the worst grades of all interior linemen run blocking in the NFL. So I just think it's difficult. He's going to give you a little bit more juice, but the differentiation you're getting between Jeff Wilson and other guys, not going to be that high. But let's get into the main thing here. That's going to be the steel man argument for McCaffrey is how he's a weapon in the passing game. I've seen numbers about how he produces a lot of first downs and they need more first downs, that he has been relatively effective on the Panthers as far as a yard per target number. It was one of the highest numbers in all the NFL, even compared to uh, wide receivers in the past because of his extremely high catch rate that he's had. Well, if we are going to target Christian McCaffrey more often, what is the impact on the rest of the offense? So we know what he can bring, but what's the downside? What's the opportunity cost for the rest of the offense up until this point, And, you know, Shanahan's a smart guy. He can expand the playbook, all that sort of stuff. He could come up with new concepts. But up until this point with the 49ers, they have not targeted running backs very often in the passing game. This kind of harkens back to the Jarek McKinnon signing. Remember when they signed him for a ton of money from Minnesota, even though he barely done anything in his career to that point, he was going to open up the whole offense, everything else. Now he got injured, so we never really had a chance to see McKinnon. He did get on the field in 2020. He had 48 targets. He averaged 5.5 yards per target. Bad. Not good. Not a good offense. Not something you want to build around. Um, McCaffrey obviously will be better than that. McKinnon was still probably being hampered at that point. He's not that level of player of McCaffrey. But even still, they just don't use their running backs generally in the passing game. Right now, only 7.9% of their targets are going to running backs, which is, believe it or not, they're actually not the, the worst In the NFL or the lowest in the NFL. They're 31st. There's a team with even less than them. Um, it's depressed versus previous years. There's 12.6 in 2021, 19% in 2020, 15%, 12%, and 20% the previous years, all these years with Shanahan. Still very rarely even a top half number for how often they're targeting running backs. It's hard to target running backs when you have great downfield passing options, number one. It's also hard if you're running a play-action dominant running game because you're passing a lot after the play-action. Now, you can play action, turn around, throw it to the running back afterwards as part of a screen, a tricky sort of screen scenario, but it's not something you do a lot. They just do not throw the ball to the running backs a lot. Garoppolo is not a big dump-off sort of, sort of guy. So that will have to change offensively. And remember, the passing game has been good, right? The passing game has been a game, when Garoppolo is healthy, it's a top five uh, expected points added per drop back passing game. So again, opportunity cost here. Uh, the other side of the opportunity cost, when we think about, you know, where, where are these targets going to come from? If you're going to increase that running back target number, well, who are they going to come from? This is not a team that's bereft of other receiving options. This is not a team where you're saying, we don't have talent outside. We don't have talent at tight end. Right now, Debo Samuel has 26% of targets. Ayuke, 24%. Kittle, only 14%. Uh, of course, he missed some time, so he's, that's going to go up. Jawan Jennings, 11%. Jeff Wilson, six. Juszczyk, six. Ray Ray McLeod, four. And then a bunch of guys with, you know, two or 1%, which doesn't really matter. Who are we taking targets away from? Do we expect our offense to be more efficient with fewer Debo Samuel targets? Fewer Brandon Ayuk targets? Fewer George Kettle targets? Fewer Juwan Jennings targets? Maybe Juwan Jennings, but even Juwan Jennings has been low-key pretty good. Uh, No one else has more than 10% target share on this team. Who are you going to take it away from on here? Even if you're squeezing it away from Jennings, it's not going to be a ton that you're taking away here uh, for a player who's been effective and been efficient catching the ball so far this season. So I think it's highly unlikely the solution to getting a more efficient offense to take targets away from these other guys as part of the same pie. Well, then the other solution would be, well, let's grow the pie. I think that's a steel man argument for this trade is to say the 49ers will replace inefficient runs that they're doing currently with passes to Christian McCaffrey, rather than running it on first and 10 having a bottom five success rate doing so let's throw the ball to Christian McCaffrey instead. Maybe that'll happen, but do you really see a Shanahan offense, which has an effective defense also defense is pretty good. They're injured now, but they're going to get those guys back. They're going to have a good defense. They're going to have a top five sort of defense. Do you really see Shanahan saying with a top five defense, with my scheme, we're going to become Andy Reid all of a sudden? Or even when you think about Carolina, the whole thing was they were passing the ball a lot. They're going out of shotgun a lot when McCaffrey was being very successful. Um, this is a under center play action type of offense, a low pass volume type of offense. If you go from 2017 to 2022... Uh, They've been below expectation, their pass rate, every single season. They've never been higher than 20th in pass rate over expectation. So they're always bottom 10-ish in pass rate versus expectation. Is that going to change? Will that be an effective change if they decide to make that change? It's possible. Don't get me wrong. It's possible. It's possible you could get some value here by replacing some of these runs with Christian McCaffrey targets. It's just, there's not a lot of evidence that that's what Kyle Shanahan wants to do with an offense. There's not a lot of evidence that we're going to see a Jimmy Garoppolo offense. That's going to be a top half top 10 passing offense. They're passing 55% of the time this year. They passed 53% of the time last year. Those are low, low numbers. Those are, you know, Tennessee Titans type of numbers. They were 31st, second to last in pass rate versus expectation last year at 6.1% under expectation. There's just no evidence that they want to run that type of offense. So those targets are going to have to come from other players. Now, what do I think is going to actually happen here? And this is maybe like avoiding negatives potentially of this trade, but not not giving you much on the positive side for this trade. But avoiding negatives, I just think that McCaffrey is just going to be a version of the running backs they've had in the past, like a version of a Jeff Wilson. Let's say you're you're, you're plugging him in for Jeff Wilson or Elijah Mitchell. He's going to give you a little bit more juice in the running game, but not by himself going to make this a top half efficiency running attack. No, it's still going to be bottom half unless they get the blocking figured out. He's going to give you some, plays that you can diagram up he's going to take a few targets away from others he's going to add some efficiency in the passing game versus other running backs but net net i don't think it's going to have much of a difference at all on the offense that's what it's going to be now the offense could get better because it was naturally going to get better because the run block has been so bad um, it could get better because garoppolo starts playing a little bit better although he's been okay so far this year they could start converting a lot more third downs. That's also been a big area where McCaffrey's been used a lot. But at the same time, Garoppolo has been a guy who's converted third downs over expectation whenever he's played. 2019, 2021, 49ers were really good at converting third downs because Garoppolo has been good with the with the weapons available to him. He's been good. McCaffrey will add an extra guy. So maybe they can get slightly higher third down conversions. So that's what we're talking about. Slightly higher third down conversions, maybe a little bit more. Rushing juice, maybe a little bit more juice in the passing game from running backs. But every time they don't target Samuel, Ayuk, or Kittle because of McCaffrey, I think it's a down, it's a downside. And that will mitigate the benefits of McCaffrey in this passing game, making it a slightly positive move, but by no means any sort of game-changing, one-piece-away type of move. There's just no evidence to support that. There's no evidence to support that. The offense might get better, but unless Shannon's going to fundamentally change his offensive philosophy, stop running as much play action, throwing the ball a lot more, uh, spreading things out a bit more, unless he's going to do that. And do you think he's going to do that with Jimmy Garoppolo? I'm not sure. He hasn't shown much faith in Garoppolo in the past when it comes to situations where they could give him opportunity to open it up a bit more unless they do that. Uh, his impact is just going to be muted. And, It's going to be giving up now after, you know, Trey Lance giving up the three first round picks for Trey Lance, who I don't know if it's going to work out guys. I know he didn't have much of an opportunity this year, but even still the way he plays, there'd be no reason to bet that he's, he's likely to be an enhancement to this offense going forward. Um, Another guy where we're talking about, yeah, he can run the ball more Lance, but you're taking targets away from all these great uh, pass catchers. So not, not so sure about that one. Three first round picks. Not so sure about this one. The equivalent of another first round pick here for Christian McCaffrey. It's a lot. It's a lot to give up. And Shanahan, the coach, whatever respect you have there, Shanahan, the personnel guy, I don't think has been nearly as good, especially when it comes to just spamming picks on running backs, spending a bunch of money on Jarek McKinnon, making this trade up for Lance when he probably wanted Mac Jones first. I still believe that by the way. Um, Schefter still sticks to that story, and he is buddy-buddy, extremely close with Mike Shanahan, helped him write a book. Um, and I've also heard recently from some NFL, uh, from an NFL staffer who I know, who I know well, uh, he said he heard from someone high up in the 49ers organization that it's like 100% that Kyle Shanahan wanted Mac Jones <laughs> initially and then switched off to Trey Lance, but they just fear that he's too inaccurate now. Um, to be able to really execute that that system and they're not really mad about turning to 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 jimmy garoppolo here so it's those sort of winging it moves that you have to really question whether or not shanahan the gm is going to overwhelm everything that we're seeing from shanahan the offensive coach and the benefits you're going to get there now that being said the 49ers were my pick to make it to the super bowl once jimmy g came in there so it's not going to hurt them this year. You know, when you trade away future assets for a player this year, it's never hurting you, right? You always should get better. So if they do get better and they do play well, which I expect them to do anyway, it's not that the trade got them over the top. It's like people, you know, justifying the Sony Michelle first round draft pick because they won the Super Bowl this year. Well, how many people now looking back are really like, "Oh yeah, maybe that wasn't the defining factor." That, that got to the Super Bowl. Uh, maybe they would have been able to get there and win that without him, despite the fact that he put up stats in the Super Bowl. It's all that sort of thing. Uh, we'll look at the results. We'll gauge everything. But I have trouble seeing the upside for the 49ers. Let's get to, though, let's get to Panthers, because this is going to be the underplayed side of this. And I don't want to be, I, I love to hate. We already talked about that. I am a hater. But let's also be positive here. And let's talk about what the Panthers are doing. Brilliant move by the Panthers here, another piece of evidence that we have that in-season trades are the best way to maximize value. So if you're a team, you're in the Panthers situation, which gave you this impetus because you're firing the coach to reorg, to have the vultures fly overhead. Um, but if you're mid-season, and remember, the trade deadline, I think it's uh, November 1st or early November. So we still have a couple of weeks here. If you're a team where your playoff probability is less than 10% in a couple of weeks, and there will be a lot of teams that fall into that category. I mean, let me just look at some of the teams now, according to our power rankings, that have like a 10 15% chance to make the playoffs. Uh, so with Carolina at 1%. So, you know, they're uh, Chicago, the Bears, Texans at 5%, Detroit Lions at seven percent um saints at eight percent after last night sorry spoiler alert on their updated playoff probabilities here uh jacksonville's next well actually no jacksonville's a little bit higher around 20 percent washington 15 percent the problem is you got guys like rivera maybe if you fire rivera you could figure out who you might trade away there i don't know if you have a lot of guys there but antonio gibson or someone if you could get something for him um, but the key is like these in season trades, teams are willing to give up a ton because it's hard to get a lot in the off season for trading. Because if you trade someone in the normal off season pattern, you still have free agency to come. You still have the draft to come. Right. And they're not going to give up a whole lot, but they're going to say, well, we'll fill this need in free agency or we'll fill this need in the draft. So that lowers the value significantly for a player. You might want to trade outside of a quarterback, of course, because they can't rationally think they're going to fill that need in either one of those two venues. So value is low there. After free agency in the draft, most teams kind of think that they've filled. You know, they think, they think they've think they filled their needs. Now, the season starts, everything goes to hell, and they haven't filled their needs, but everyone's positive. It's why everyone wins the offseason, why every fan base feels like, They've won the offseason because they've improved in every position they were bad in last year, and they assume every position they were good in last year will continue this year. Tough environment for getting a lot of trade compensation. In season, though, to teams who believe they need to win now, and they're positioned to win now, they're the one-player-away fallacy, comes into play big time in season. We don't see a lot of these trades, but this trade – there's no way you're getting this compensation for Christian McCaffrey in the offseason. If you trade him in April, 0% chance. The 49ers are going to say, you know what? We'll look in the draft. We'll find someone. We'll do whatever. Our running game is always good, no matter who we have in there. Now their running game hasn't been so good. You didn't realize that was good. You know, we'll fix it. Never 0% chance of getting this sort of compensation for McCaffrey during the season. Now, we don't see a lot of in-season trades that are similar to this, but I would harken back to Mari Cooper. In season trade. Now that ended up looking pretty good for the Cowboys. But remember, at the time when they traded for him, again, one player away, we need to make this playoff push while we can. A little bit of desperation on their point ended up working out. You know, even trades that are 80% bad work out one out of every five times, right? Everyone was laughing at that compensation at the time for, for um, Amari Cooper for a first round pick ended up working out. But again, that's way more than they would have gotten for Amari Cooper if they had traded him in the preseason or during the normal trade cycle before the season started. Uh, another one you can point to is probably uh, Sam Bradford. Remember Sam Bradford back in the day when the Eagles traded him away, where they were planning on starting him. And after they drafted Carson Wentz, they traded him away after Teddy Bridgewater's you know knee exploded uh, props to Tate Bridgewater coming back for that. I think we kind of forget sometimes like how catastrophic of an injury that was to Bridgewater. You know, they got the first round pick because they needed something there. There was no time to fill it. You couldn't go to free agency. You couldn't go to the draft. You couldn't go these other avenues. The 49ers can't go to free agency or the draft right now. That's why they're giving up so more for them. So more teams need to be exploring this. One team, uh, the Browns, you know, the Rams are supposedly in on this deal unsurprising, the Rams, another team that likes to, you know, despite having no first round picks, for some reason, they want to spend all their second and third round picks on running backs. Well, not all, but Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson uh, over the last few years, but yet they hate them all and they want to replace them. So supposedly the Rams were in on this too. Hey, if I'm the, uh, if I'm even the Browns, I know you're competing, but what can you, you know, Kareem Hunt, Eh, I don't know. Maybe you float that out there. How much faith do you have in Dernus Johnson to come in? I think you should have a lot. Or trade Dernus Johnson if you want to think about trading him. If you're one of these other teams at the bottom, you know, David Montgomery, maybe? You want to trade him for the Bears? I don't know what you're getting for him necessarily. They probably have, like, it's a little bit easier for teams to talk themselves into some grand scheme change with someone like um, McCaffrey. But, hey, David Montgomery, why not? Detroit, not going to do this probably, but DeAndre Swift. I know he's in his rookie deal, but this is his third season now. And we're getting into one more year of rookie deal, then big time compensation. Then do you have to sign him or not? If you can get some good compensation for him, DeAndre Swift, that's probably a guy you can get some decent compensation for, should you trade him. It's an idea, at least. Um, I don't know what the cap hit would be for New Orleans and they're just continually all in, but you know, Alvin Kamara, I don't know. Could you trade him? Maybe after last night, less than 10% chance that the Saints are going to make the playoffs, but I don't think they're in the implode mode. So in some ways it's been good to just open up the possibilities for the Panthers. The fact that they were able to make this trade going, going forward and everything that they have there. And of course, The talk of, you know, everyone's like, Brian Burns, what what are we going to get for him? Uh, Can we get DJ Moore? They're not trading away those guys. Smart move. Don't trade away your foundational pieces. But trading away, you know, uh, Christian McCaffrey, if you want to say Robbie Anderson, Robbie Anderson, you know, kind of traded himself away. Those are brilliant moves there for a team that can now, you know, they gave up some picks to trade up for Matt Corral. They get those back. They can build, I would say they build around Matt Corral because I love Matt Corral, but obviously that's not the number one thing here. The number one thing is we we can get a quarterback in the draft here. We have this extra compensation, clear out some cap space now for McCaffrey's cap hit would have been the next few years, take that dead money hit, putting themselves in a good situation. I mean, it's low key, a decent spot for a head coach to come in, for a new head coach to come in. If you can get that rookie quarterback But you should be able to get someone this draft. I mean, you're looking pretty locked in for a top five pick. They should be able to get someone. They built up the offensive line uh, this last season. Their defense is low-key okay. Decent. You know, J.C. Horn's a great player there on the outside. They got some foundational pieces there. Uh, They could compete, you know. No Tom Brady, maybe, going forward next year. Atlanta, not really a great place to compete next year. The Saints. Eventually they're going to have to stop pushing all their chips in every single year to go forward. You know, Carolina, I'm kind of a little bit, you know, a little bit positive about them. I'm not so positive about Tepper. I'm not, I'm not sure about Tepper. He's a little bit uh, for a guy who's supposed to be a hedge fund guy and analytical guy. They're not really bringing in a lot of analytical resources there. They just threw all this money at Matt rule, which was absurd. The seven year contract for a guy who never coached in the NFL before. He's a little bit of a hothead, but I like the way that they played out the quarterback situation getting Corral last uh, year. I I didn't hate them getting Baker here um, if they were trying to compete this year. But now that you're not, you know, it's, it's, it's also fortuitous to them that Baker's injured. And if he did turn things around, he won't even be around necessarily to turn things around and get them more wins this year that they really do not need. All right. That's my trade trade wrap up talk. Now we're into Thursday night football. But before we do, let's talk DraftKings. DraftKings. Here, oh, we got a new, we got a new ad rate here. Your kicker's lining up for an onside kick. The chances of regaining possession are slim. The stakes are high. The tension higher. You know that actually, let me just, as a side note here, onside kicks gone way up chances of recovering those because they they only allow nine players in the box to recover those now. Your pulse racing. He kicks as you watch the ball land. Make every play feel this exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make five dollar any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook using code PFF. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for detail. And also Western and Southern is a sponsor of the Unexpected Points podcast. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. Okay, let's review this puppy. Um, for those who watched, actually, you know what? I forgot I forgot my whole lead in here. The This was the, the, the pick six bowl last night where we went from 14-6 Arizona to 24-14 Arizona. I'm sorry, 14 6 for the Saints to 24 14 um, Cardinals in a flash. And one of the better plays of the year that we saw in terms of memeability with Dalton walking away and uh, defenders doing flips into the end zone. That was really the turning point. Dalton underneath and his tip and interception. And all the way inside the ten to the end zone goes Marco Wilson. Yes, Marco Wilson. who I think was gotten got burned early in this game. He was getting getting kind of toasted a little bit by Alave. I oh, wasn't actually got toasted by um, uh, Raheed Shahid. Whatever it is I have to get the guy's name down here. Uh, the greatest start forever for for a career. Yeah, Raheed Shahid had that long fifty three yard touchdown where he got burnt earlier. But Marco Wilson comes back here, gets the pick six. They get another pick six um, immediately thereafter on the next possession. Neither one of those were really Dalton's fault. The second one was a little bit of Dalton's fault because he got some pressure there. And then he ended up having to, to throw it up and it was returned back. That first one went through Marcus Calloway's hands. So you can't really blame that. On Dalton, But he also threw an interception in the end zone earlier in this game. So I think somewhat the results in this mask the fact that the Saints offense was humming. Now, huge, huge downside for these outlier plays. If you look at the top, those two plays, those two pick sixes, the one by Isaiah Simmons was the other one after this. Minus eight EPA for... The Callaway tip, which then went, uh, that Wilson returned for a touchdown, minus seven point eight EPA for the Isaiah Simmons uh, return. Win probability. Okay. Before the, talk about the win probability flip here. So before the Cardinals scored that touchdown, so again they were down fourteen to six, after scoring a couple of. Uh, field goals early in the game they score before they score the touchdown let me see here they were at 40% win probability the Cardinals were um, they score the touchdown they get up to about 45% win probability let's say before they start this drive let's say they were at 30 30% win probability before they start this drive. They go all the way down. They score a touchdown. They're up to 43% win probability. They make a two-point conversion. They're up to 52% win probability. Then, boom, interception returned for a touchdown. They're up to 76 win win probability. Boom, another interception returned for a touchdown. They're above 90% win probability. So flip from 30 to 90 in the course of about two minutes in those games. Massively huge plays in terms of... Flipping the script on that one. And, um, but again, the, the, the Saints offense was successful in this game. This is where we're going to get into my adjusted scores, which are kind of crazy on this one. Um, Well, let's go over the particulars first. Arizona was a two and a half point favorite. So they didn't get up to the key number of three, but two and a half point favorite in this game, they win 42, 34, a little deceptive there. Those touchdowns at the end for the Saints don't really matter that much, but they did show that they were able to move the ball adjusted score. Saints 29, Cardinals 22, so much better. And maybe you could say this is a flaw a bit in the adjusted scores is that they look at an offense for the Saints that had a 95% success rate versus an offense for the Cardinals that had a thirty seven percent 37th percentile, sorry, 95th percentile success rate for the Saints, 37th for the Cardinals. But those big, massive negative plays made it so that The Saints actual efficiency was below 50th percentile and the Cardinals was above 50th percentile because they made some big plays themselves. But I weight the success rate a bit more and I know saying, well, if it wasn't for the three interceptions, which cost them 22 expected points, they would have won this game. It's kind of, you know, it's on that, like, other than that, how was the play? Miss Lincoln sort of commentary. So I get that. This game is probably closer than what the adjusted scores were saying here. The Saints being a touchdown better. But the Saints offense internally looked pretty good. Remember, Dalton only had one interception this season going into this game. So it's not like he had been turning it over left and right the entire time. It's at least something to consider. The fact that they may have been better than you thought. Uh, Kyler Murray actually had decent efficiency in this game, which was a little bit surprising because... He wasn't doing a lot to start the game. Fantasy football guys like myself who have Kyler Murray uh, on their fantasy football teams were not loving it. We're not loving it at all. The fact that he was getting no touchdowns for a while until he finally got the touchdown pass to Dortch a little bit later on, but they were already up and had, you know, 30 something points before that had to end up happening. Uh, We go to the grading here, passing grade. See Dalton, Dalton had a higher passing grade than Kyler Murray in this game. Again, go yell at at Steve under, uh, at PFF underscore Steve if you want to add do the exact numbers on here. But we only have Dalton for that one turnover worthy play. So that's what it comes down to. The interception, in the end zone was egregious. It was horrible. But only one turnover worthy play, three big time throws, and seven point five yards per attempt versus six point seven for Murray. I mean, there's some better internal numbers here that he had in in this game. Hey, there's probably some issues with some of this stuff. I get it, but um, it is what it is. And also, if you think about how Dalton had to play, he was under a decent amount of pressure, 2.5 time to throw, uh, which is about the same as Murray, but 9.2 a dot versus under eight for Murray. So he was also throwing the ball down the field a decent amount in this game. Running the ball, I mean, Eno Benjamin was very effective. Uh, Keontae Ingram was good. He had a lower yards per carry, but he was converting first downs that were very important in this game. Couldn't really get much going for the Saints running game, um, even though Kamara wasn't bad for 49 yards on 11 carries. And then in the receiving game, I mean, it, Alave had his 100 yards, but on 12 targets, so not fantastic there. They really just spread the ball out a lot here in their attempt to come back other than that one long touchdown to Shahid. And then from the Cardinals' side, they did not waste any time going back to DeAndre Hopkins. 50% target share in this game. 14 of 28 targets. Ten Only 10 catches for 103 yards, so not fantastical numbers there, but still just spamming the hell out of DeAndre Hopkins here, which is going to hurt the rest of these guys from a fantasy perspective, because again, you know Marquise Brown is out. Seemed like DeAndre Hopkins just stepped in to become that guy immediately from day one. Zach Ertz only had three targets. Um, Rondo, Moore, Rondo Moore only had two targets. He had one downfield target, so at least he finally finally got some downfield targets there. But there really wasn't anything in the passing game outside of a Greg Dorch touchdown and a few running back passes to Eno Benjamin. They really didn't do much of anything other than go to DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, One other thing to watch Kyler running the ball. I was calling for him to be, to do that a lot more uh, early this season, at least when it came to designed design runs. And now he's been starting to pick that up quite a bit. And it's not just scrambles. Like, so week one, he had five attempts. One of them was a scramble week two, six attempts. Three were scrambles. So only three design runs week three, Two attempts, both scrambles. No design runs in week three for Kyler Murray. Now these last few weeks, uh, 13 attempts, three scrambles. So 10 design rushes, only three design rushes against the Eagles, but 42 yards. So we'll take that. Um, Six design runs against the Seahawks. Seven design runs against the Saints. That number is picking up. I know there's injury risk, but listen. Listen. You got to win ball games, somewhat desperation time for the Cardinals. If, you know, if they didn't win this game last night down at two and four, they would have been one of those teams with less than a 10% chance to now make the playoffs. But instead they did go for it, uh, rushing the ball. They did move forward there. And now let's get the Cardinals numbers here for their power rankings. The Cardinals, their playoff chances are up to 27%, 14% chance to win the division. Not excellent. One of the problems is their schedule remaining is the third hardest schedule in the NFL. So that's going to be a bit of an issue. But I do think the offense looked a little bit better spamming um, DeAndre Hopkins with targets versus Marquise Brown there. And they have winnable games coming up. They have a really tough schedule to end the season, but they have winnable games coming up. Uh, They have 10 days before they're going to face the Vikings in the Dome. Then after that, they face the Seahawks at home. Those are two W's that they can get there, get themselves back to being over 500. Now, after that, the Rams, maybe they can win that game. The Rams have looked a little bit vulnerable. The 49ers, the Chargers, the Patriots, the Broncos. We'll see who, who the Broncos are by that point. The Bucks. The Falcons, that's okay. And then the 49ers to end. So a really tough schedule. Only a couple of pockets in the last third of the season where they can you know, really count on winning games. But the next two weeks are games that they need to win. Maybe they have some positive momentum going into that and can increase their playoff odds based upon what we saw there. Um, in terms of how Murray's been playing so far this season, I think that's something that... Still hasn't improved a lot. But like I said, this was his best efficiency game of the year right now. And if we look at where he's ranked in his efficiency so far this season, 21st. So still outside of the top 20. Still below Jared Goff, (laughs) Andy Dalton in his EPA per play so far this season. But I think he's going to get that picked up uh, going forward. You know Dalton's going to have like a top five passing grade. It's going to be wild. Uh, we'll see if they turn back to Jameis or what ends up happening after this one. But again, I think our grading is overgrading, Dalton, but he's probably been better than what some people may think on this one. Okay, I'm just gonna really quickly go over. I was supposed to do a mailbag segment, but I can't do that because I talked. we didn't really I didn't know this McCaffrey thing was was gonna happen. so we're gonna we're gonna skip that one. But what I can talk about very briefly, is maybe some of the best bets for the weekend. Um, so again, I'm just looking purely at some numbers-based stuff here for how my power rankings combined with our PFF power rankings combined with some of the adjusted score information that we have so far this year. Go ahead, flip it over, compare it to the odds this season, make account for the key numbers, all that sort of stuff. And then try to guess to see, you know, who looks like they're gonna they're going to win based upon those lines. Okay. Who do we like here? I uh, you know, like the Steelers, seven point dogs on the road against the Miami Dolphins. That's a tougher one there. Um, that's the number one number that pops up. But I do think there's some like non-TUA figures that are bleeding into it. But I don't hate that one there. Number two, Dallas at home against Detroit as seven point favorites. And then the third highest one here, according to my numbers, that uh, that number would be more like three, according to my numbers. The third highest one here, and I don't know, I got to throw my hands up because this happens like every single week. Every single week, I like Cleveland, and I don't like Baltimore. So Baltimore at home, six and a half point favorite. I would really love that to be seven. Uh, leaning towards Cleveland there. Maybe you get another Jacoby Brissett game out of Jacoby Brissett here, which will end up ruining everything like it did last week. But generally – It's a team that's played extremely well offensively, in some ways better than the Ravens have been so far offensively, although I don't think that'll necessarily continue. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here after about an hour. I'm still collecting those um, mailbag questions. If you want to drop one in an Apple podcast review or drop one here in the YouTube channel or fire one at me at Kevin Cole PFF. I will continue to collect those and then parcel them out next week since I don't quite have time this week. Um, But I want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments on my, or you want to yell at me about my CMC trade evaluation or review, go ahead and do so in the comments. I do read those and respond to rational uh, critical feedback, which I enjoy. Otherwise everyone enjoy the games this weekend. It's not the greatest slate, but enjoy the games this weekend. And I'll be talking to everyone with reviews of each and every game on Monday morning. All right. Thanks so much, everybody.